Coming up on This Week in Games, NVIDIA launches their bet on the cloud gaming market. The second part of Rockstar's Trinity leaves as Dan Hauser departs the studio. And an AI startup raises a hefty seed round in hopes of disrupting gaming QA. Coming up This Week in Games. It's that time of the week for your video game industry news rundown. I'm your host, Eric McConnell, and we had a week of shakeups and announcements. We had a pretty big week, so let's kick it off. GeForce Now launches NVIDIA's cloud gaming subscription service as one of the best deals on the market. So it's pretty a weird one. Um, another big step in cloud gaming occurred. GeForce Now has been publicly launched. GeForce Now is $4.99 a month, allows up to six-hour sessions, which is a pretty interesting uh, clamp on session links. Gives you priority queues, which again is strange to have queues for a service like this, and supports ray tracing rendering for games that have it. There's also a free tier, but the free tier has queue wait times and it supports a one hour maximum session length. NVIDIA does not provide a game library. Instead, you utilize your Steam library or other digital storefronts to play games on GeForce Now. I think it said it had a thousand games supported and maybe like some amount of free to play games as well. It does support their screen-attached controller, the Shield Portable. So this is pretty interesting. Um, pretty interesting entry into the cloud gaming market. However, I don't have a positive outlook. You know, again, the big question is, who is this for? Assuming you own the games you're playing on Steam, why are you not playing them on your PC? What situation are you in where you do not have access to your gaming PC but want to play your Steam games? I mean, maybe like a work trip, maybe a vacation. But even then... Um, you know, it's like, what is this for? Like, are do you have a computer with a mouse and keyboard good enough to play your Steam games on, as in, like, for input devices, but aren't good enough to run the Steam games? And then, you know, what games are you playing that you need this? And, you know, there's another interesting part where, like, it's the first uh, cloud gaming service to have queue lines for playing and an upper bound on clamp in session links so both of those are cost-cutting measures you know nvidia is probably not you know well equipped like a microsoft a tencent uh amazon google to a lesser extent ea so they probably just don't have farms and farms of video cards and aren't willing to like eat these negative margins however these cost-cutting measures for nvidia um kind of take away from the whole promise of cloud gaming, which is like play anywhere, anytime, have a great experience. And now it's like, well, you can play anywhere, but but there's queue lines if it's too crowded and you can play anytime, but you can't play for too long or else we'll kick you off the service. I feel like this is an honest attempt at dominating the cloud gaming market or even providing a competitor in the market. You know, it's more of an investor pageantry and a public display that NVIDIA's R&D department can release new products and services. You can't honestly look at GeForce Now and say this is a real attempt at capturing cloud gaming market. It's providing almost no advantage over what other companies are providing with cloud gaming, except for the price point, okay? But even then, it has no exclusivities to games. It's providing no games. I mean, it's, it's literally using your library so it's not even providing like console games or console only games you know for this service 
And yeah, it's just like the unique economics again at cloud gaming don't make sense. Like Google Stadia is, I can just assume, uh, knowing how unit economics work over there is losing money. So if Google's losing money, you better believe that $5 a month isn't cutting it for NVIDIA. And, you know, they try to add these like cost cutting measures and they're actually just taken away from the experience and the whole reason to have this like cloud gaming service. You know, the more people that play, especially during peak times, the more, you know, you're gonna lose money as a business offering the service. And then at the same time, NVIDIA wants to put in queues and session link limiters to offset that. But then people are just going to cancel the service and go to somewhere else or, I don't know, just actually play the game. It's a very strange play for a video card and chip maker like NVIDIA to do this. Um, yeah, I don't know who it's for. <laughs> I don't know why they decided to do this. They can't honestly think that this is going to what deter people from what like buying stadia i don't know or maybe people who already love cloud gaming on their like love gaming on their pc will try cloud gaming but yeah and at the end of the day it's even funny because it it eats into nvidia's own market share like nvidia has the market of selling high-end video cards people want to play high-end video games now sure they can put these video cards in farms but they're they're not a company that really can compete with aws azure google cloud as far as providing like stable consistent cloud services across the world so it's just so much of this doesn't make sense um but we'll see you know everyone can be wrong however with no exclusivity games offering nothing that you can't already get from playing your games on Steam. Um, and adding the queues and the session link limiters, it, I, I don't see a future for this. <laughs> so let's move on to our next story. Dan Hauser departs Rockstar Games. So this is probably the biggest story of the week. And it's the second piece of what I like to call the Rockstar Trinity, which included Leslie Benzies, Sam Hauser, and Dan Hauser. So this leaves Sam Hauser at Rockstar after Leslie Benz departed in 2016 due to unpaid royalties, resulting in a public lawsuit and a private settlement. Dan Hauser has been on a year-long hiatus starting last spring. No word has been reported on what started the hiatus and what's behind the departure. Within the Rockstar Games Trinity, Dan was a writer and narrative lead behind most of Rockstar's biggest hits, specifically RDR 1 and 2 and almost every Grand Theft Auto game. You know, I worked at Rockstar. I never personally interacted with Dan Hauser. And since I worked on multiplayer and online game design, Dan Hauser never really directly influenced my work as he was much more focused on the single player narrative. Still, regardless of the current state of Rockstar's leaders, Sam, Dan, and Leslie had a crazy run that started with GTA 3 in 2001, all the way up to RDR 2 in 2018. I mean, this is a legendary game development run. We would all be lucky to have a fraction of the success of Rockstar has experienced and I'm lucky to have the opportunity to experience an ever so small sliver of game development there. You know, these departures, along with other changes in Rockstar's development structure, kind of truly signal an end of an era at Rockstar. One without Leslie and Dan, but also now, you know, Rockstar reaps in games as a service money from GTA 5 Online and to a lesser extent RDR 2 Online. It'll be interesting to see kind of how they go forward in the future. Like maybe even with Sam Hauser. Well, peace out. And then what is Rockstar without those three? 
you know, and what is Rockstar in a world where they're no longer releasing, you know, games every year, every other year? There's a lot, there's a meme online that's like Rockstar releasing games almost every year and then GTA 5 comes out and they completely stop and then it is a five-year desert wasteland and then RDR2 came out and now it's another, they don't even have like an even rumored date for GTA 6. So this is kind of like where Rockstar is going. It's becoming... It's kind of like with Assassin's Creed. They they don't have a games as a service part of Assassin's Creed, but they have to keep releasing Assassin's Creed because they have to keep making payroll and holding up the studio and making public investors happy. And so Rockstar, you know, makes tons of money with GTA 5 and again a little less with RDR2's online services, but now with this, are they going to ever experiment with other games, especially if they're creative leaders? all gone are they ever gonna like branch out and try other series or, or are they just gonna become the gta company and then gta 6 will hopefully replace gta 5's games as a service uh recurring revenue i don't know there's a lot of unanswered questions however let's uh you know you gotta <laughs> working at rockstar it was like you know these legendary people like sam and dan and leslie um they had a reputation and whatever, but you have to like, you have to respect them. Like 2001, 2018, arguably the greatest run of any game company ever. I mean, how many game companies keep it together after a mega hit or after two mega hits and how many can do that many mega hits in a row, you know? And even things like RDR, like who has the guts to say, I'm gonna make a mature, slow, narrative-driven western game and it's not even like peak western it's in the dying days of the west because i want to and i'm passionate about it oh and it's gonna win every award and the sequel is gonna sell a billion copies or whatever you know that's guts and that's something special and i wish we had more people like that in the game industry more people who are willing to say like yeah, yeah yeah we like doing like drugs and crime but here's something else and they did it, and they made it work, and that's the most important thing. So, hats off to Dan Hauser. I mean, I'm sure you have plenty of money, as the Leslie Benz lawsuit outlined. And uh, curious to see what you do next. However, Take Two, Rockstar's publisher, saw its stock take a nice tumble from the news of Dan Hauser's departure. So, Take Two took a nice six percent drop on Thursday afternoon as a result of Dan Hauser's departure, and further dropped to losing nearly 13 percent value. Take-Two was trading at $128 a share on Thursday and is resting at $111 a share on Monday evening. That's around a $2 billion market cap shave. Rockstar represents, by my uneducated estimations, about 60% of Take-Two's value, with the remaining 40% mostly come from NBA 2K with help from Borderlands, WWE 2K, and Civilization. Yeah, I'm, what are you going to say? Like, I, From my point of view, Rockstar props up Take-Two. Like, it's Rockstar and NBA 2K's Dream Team gotcha machine. And that's it. You know? Um, yeah. <laughs> All right. Next up, Rob Ferguson, head figure over the Gears of War series, announces via Twitter his departure from Microsoft to Blizzard. Ferguson has credits with all five Gears of War games, likely one of the only people to make the transition to Black Tusk or The Coalition in 2014 when Microsoft bought the series from Epic Games and then gave it to one of their Microsoft studios to run. Ferguson will depart 
leading the Gears of War franchise over to the Diablo franchise at Blizzard, specifically Diablo 4's development. Honestly, just the only thing about this is it's strange to utilize your personal Twitter account to announce this and not have either company make the announcements themselves. Like generally, maybe Blizzard would be the one to make the announcements like, ah, we have a new leader on the Diablo team and it's this guy and he ran Gears of War. Or maybe Microsoft says, like, we'd like to thank Rob Ferguson, he's departing, blah, 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 but neither announced it, and Rob just took his own Twitter account to announce it, so, uh, oh well. All right, let's get to the business news. This one is big. Model.ai, a Danish AI firm, closes an amazing $1.7 million seed round. $1.7 million seed round is great for any game service company, and maybe record-breaking for, like, game services. Like, I can't... I mean, seed rounds are supposed to be pretty small, you know, just an injection of cash to keep the product going until you can actually offer a product. So $1.7 million for a Danish firm, pretty big. Model.ai, what it is, wants to, well, model player archetypes and then use AI to drive automated QA for game developers. They aim to take QA from a week or day cycle to a minute cycle. The seed round will all go towards development. Model.ai claims to be working with globally known game developers and will soon test their program publicly. Very interesting. Like, I looked into it. If it works out, it could be truly groundbreaking. I suppose my questions would be how fast can the AI learn all the complexities of, like, new games, like inventing new puzzle types, and how useful is an AI at QA? See, most of QA isn't really playing the game as a player, but playing the game to break the game or playing the game as like maybe an asshole player would. Simulating a playthrough is very useful, but not as useful as a seasoned QA tester. But this could help with regression testing, especially on games that release content or versions on a weekly or bi-weekly basis. So, you know, you could just have the AI do all of the mindless testing and have the really seasoned good QA people do like the hammering testing. Like, let's see if we can break this. I'll be keeping an eye on this. I mean, for my own personal endeavors, like having uh, an AI firm kind of like disrupt QA is perfect because then I don't have to hire, you know, an outsourced QA firm and explain the game and go over and hand it off and hope that they actually QA test on a bunch of devices and versions of the game and other stuff. Or I don't have to work with a publisher who then is going to charge me some kind of like cut of the revenue or equity in my company to then publish my game and utilize their QA services. And even worse, like console QA, like console developers will have their own in-house QA people. And you really don't want to try to release a new version or release a game and then have their own QA people find bugs that you didn't know existed. So hopefully this works and hopefully it like brings down a cost and kind of the investment and overhead in QA in general. Next up, Improbable, the company behind Spatial OS, acquires Zeus, a game hosting service company. So Improbable is continuing to aggregate cloud and multiplayer services with another acquisition. Gamesindustry.biz is reporting the acquisition of Zeus, who runs game hosting for Conan Exiles, Mordha, and the Darwin Project is Improbable's third acquisition in the last six months. This comes after the acquisition of the Multiplayer Guys, an online multiplayer consulting firm and work-for-hire firm, and developer Midwinter Entertainment. Improbable states has pottered their effort to develop an all-in-company scene end-to-end service for developers, making Improbable a one-stop shop for cloud and online needs. Interesting. 
Sadly, no amount of money was uh, <laughs> disclosed for what this acquisition was for. Probably not much. Uh, I think they said Zeus had 30 employees. N they're not hosting the biggest games. Probably just kind of like an acquisition that's cheaper than actually hiring people and building it from scratch within Improbable. I see this more as a diversification. You know, Improbable had a very public spat with Unity and Spatial OS. And to my knowledge, it is not a kind of like Spatial OS, their crown jewel, is not adapted and used at a scale that was promised when it was announced years ago. And the games that were utilizing the technology mostly have been since canceled. So, you know, it's not really good for Improbable's big selling point, which is Spatial OS. So what I see is I can see Improbable targeting someone like Godot or one of these other, like, I, I won't call them second tier engines, but you know, game engines that look great and could compete with Unity or Unreal if they had, like, the resources and a full, like, you know, business-minded company behind them. Um, Improbable could acquire them, have their own game engine, and continue to move towards this. Really, they want an all-encompassing game service company like a Unity or an Unreal. And so they have this game engine, and then you shove Spatial OS in there natively supported in the game engine, and you shove this Zeus game hosting and all their other like services natively into the engine. Then people use the engine. I mean, it self like fulfills its own service. So that's where I see this going. I, I don't see Improbable really being a game publisher, a game company. I don't know why they acquired Midwinter Entertainment or some of these other game companies. I also don't know why they want to publicly have spats with game engine companies. You know, uh, Spatial OS is, sounds really cool, but it, it just isn't the product that, like, it's not a need-to-have product for most games. And then the games that would need to have it might be looking at cloud gaming as an alternative, like why why use Spatial OS to offload most of the complex computations or rendering or anything else when I could just have the entire game live on cloud and Google Stadia might pay for my game development. So when you don't have that kind of weight, you need to offer something that kind of offers all your services at once rather than being an add-on service to Unity or Unreal. That's my take on this. All right. Two more stories and then we're done. Nexon agrees to pay raises amidst union pressures. So maybe the first time in history of this podcast, a union has impacted game industry pay. Starting point, a South Korean labor union has secured an average 6.8% pay increase for Nexon employees in South Korea and some others globally. North America game union supporters should be watching closely. And lastly, Big Ben Group is eyeing a potential IPO as it consolidates video game business under its Nacon brand. Nacon was Big Ben's accessory line, but it's now going to be the consolidation of all of Big Ben's game industry brands. You know, they're a publisher and they have game developers as well. And it, Nacon hopes to IPO in Paris's Euronext exchange. Big Ben hopes Nacon will specialize in AA games which is kind of like niche market games like Rugby World Cup, V-Rally, two upcoming games based on the World of Gar Darkness by White Wolf, um, other types of things like that, like smaller, smaller Warhammer games. Nacon also bought the rig headset line from Playtronics. So, I don't know. It's like when you cover these European companies, I, I find them much more strange and hard to pin down than... 
like I'm in North America, so North American companies more or less make sense because I see them on the market. I, I'm more exposed to their products regularly. Um, Southeast Asian, Chinese, Japanese, Korean companies also make sense because I think there's just like a bigger kind of understanding, like shared markets between the two. Like we get a bunch of Asian games, they get some Western games, and, you know, we work together more often with, like, Tencent or NetEase working with American uh, developers or vice versa, American publishers working with them to release games over there. But these European, these successful, but I would say geographically locked European publishers, um, I frankly just don't have any view on, like, their impact, you know? And Big Ben's a good example. Big Ben is probably more successfully making these like three to twenty million dollar games that sell between like two hundred thousand and three million copies than I know. You know, than we know if you're in the North American market. Like I don't know how big V Rally is or Rugby World Cup, but maybe they're profitable. And Big Ben releases, you know many games every year and if they're all profitable then everything stacks up and big ben looks like a great business so i don't know if an ipo or buying a headset line makes sense because this is kind of a business i don't understand these very niche um these very niche european publishers and european product lines so you can almost understand like more a games as a service mobile rpg anime game maker in South Korea or Japan, I could probably understand that big better than like something like uh, a company that who's there's a publisher in Europe that wanted to aggregate all the double A racing titles, like all the rally racing car games, all the you know the the kind of like Gran Turismo type games where you're racing like expensive high and luxury cars. And yeah, I can't I can't tell you whether that'd be good or bad. And I look up Big Ben and I'm like you know what? It seems like it's good. So it's pretty interesting. Um, pretty interesting that Europe seems to be the last bastion where niche markets really thrive. Because in America, it's a winner take all market. Like we have like two racing games, but in Europe, they support multiple racing games, multiple qualities from different publishers, you know, and it's just a different market. And it's pretty interesting to see these companies come up and to see the aggregation and the publishers like pulling in all these small developers of like 30 or less people who work out of countries that don't have high cost of living expenses and everyone makes money off, you know, selling 250,000 copies of a game and everyone's happy. So I really enjoy reading these articles. <laughs> I don't know if you guys get anything from this, but we'll keep an eye on Nacon, Big Ben's now kind of consolidated game industry business and see what happens when it IPOs later this year. All right, that's it for this week in games. If you like what you hear, please hit the subscribe button on your favorite podcast app. Also, leave a comment. Let me know how I'm doing. You can email me at thisweekeneric at thisweekengames.com if you have any comments or suggestions for future stories. All right, I'm Eric McConnell. That's it for This Week in Games. I'll see you guys next week. Bye.